For decades, America has struggled to combat the harms of drug use, but the harms have increased and the fight is endless because we've been wrong. What if we changed our drug policies to actually decrease the harms of drug use and increase thriving for all of us? Our criminal approach to drugs had a beginning and it will have an end. Join us on the journey to end it for good. Welcome to episode one of the End It For Good podcast. I'm your host, Christina Dent, here with my co-host, Mike Madison. We want to invite you to consider ending our criminal approach to drugs for good, because we believe it's the best option we have to reduce harm to people and help more people thrive. Join us on this journey. The first thing we need to consider is, what should drug laws do? We believe that they should reduce harm to people so that more people thrive. That's why Mike and I both supported a prohibitive, criminalized approach to drugs earlier in our lives. We thought they were reducing harm to people and helping more people thrive. We've changed our minds, and that's the journey we want to invite listeners to take with us of whether or not ending our criminal approach to drugs is actually how we reduce harm to people so that more people thrive. We believe it is, and we want to help show you why. The first thing that we need to understand about drugs is that there's actually two kinds of harm that we're talking about when we're talking about drug harms. The first is from drugs themselves. The second is from a criminal approach to drugs. Those are two different kinds of harms, and separating them is important because when we lump all harms into just a drug harm category, it takes away our ability to see where those harms are actually stemming from. What's the root of them? So when you have someone who's lost their parent to incarceration, because of drug possession. That's not actually a drug harm. That's a drug criminalization harm. And we want to start separating out those categories. What belongs in those categories? We're convinced now that the vast majority of the harm that comes from drugs comes from criminalizing them. There will still be some drug harms from the drugs themselves, but a lot of the harm that we see in our culture and around the world comes from our criminal approach to them. How does that happen? How does criminalizing drugs increase harms? It increases it to the three major players in the drug market. The first is to the market that they're um, sold in, so who's selling the drugs. The second is to the substance itself. What happens to the drug itself when it becomes prohibited? And the third is to the consumer, who's actually taking the drugs. And we believe criminalizing drugs exponentially increases harms in all three of those categories, to the market, to the substance, and to the consumer. So how does it do that? The drug market is about a $500 billion a year market globally. What prohibition does, which is what we've done currently, is taken that market from regulated businesses and transferred it to gangs and cartels. There is no third option where drugs are just gone from the world. That doesn't exist. When a substance is popular, it will find a market. Either it will have a legal market or it will have uh, an illegal market. And the only option there is a black market. And the only option there is people who are willing to break the law, and that's going to be gangs and cartels. We have a market transfer that happens when you prohibit a popular substance. It goes from regulated businesses into the black market of gangs and cartels. What happens when you do that? Market harms explode. Crime goes up as now there's this huge pot of money to be fought over. Gang funding goes up. Instead of businesses receiving this $500 billion globally, it's now going uh, solely to people who are breaking the laws. It's funding gang and cartel activity. Uh, It's also funding corruption. When so much money is going into the coffers of gangs and cartels, uh, their ability to buy and bribe and force either government officials or um, other people into uh, going along with their plans 
uh, goes up as well. So crime, funding for gangs, and corruption all increase. What that does is decreases public safety, and it decreases trust in authority, in the people who are supposed to be protecting us and passing laws that are for our good. The second kind of harm that comes from criminalizing drugs comes from what happens to the substance. So the market transfers from regulated businesses to gangs and cartels. The substance has a transfer also. It goes from being a regulated substance, a regulated medicine, into contaminated street drugs. What happens when you do that? The substance harms explode. Potency immediately goes through the roof. You can see this happening today if you look at a football stadium. Who's drinking beer outside? Everybody. Most people aren't drinking whiskey outside. But what happens when a football stadium doesn't allow you to bring beer inside? People don't smuggle beer in. They immediately go to a more potent substance because you need a smaller package because you're now trying to smuggle it instead of take in what you really want to drink, which is something less potent. So the potency immediately goes up. Contamination immediately becomes part of it. There's no regulation anymore. Street drugs have nobody looking over its shoulder saying, is this pure? What are you putting in this? Uh, We see that today in the rise in fentanyl in our uh, illicit heroin supply. Fentanyl-laced heroin is a product of drug prohibition that would not happen in a regulated market. So contamination immediately goes up, and users have no idea what they're actually putting in their bodies. They don't know how potent it is. They don't know if it's very strong or very weak. And this leads to uh, a huge increase in overdoses and health decrease. Because when you're putting all kinds of trash in your body, which is what uh, people are cutting into drugs on the street, um, everything from laundry detergent to brick dust to more potent drugs such as fentanyl, which allows heroin then to be smuggled in smaller packaging. It goes back to what happens to a substance when you prohibit it. There's always going to be uh, a market force to get that packaging smaller so you can smuggle more of it with less risk. The third kind of transfer that happens after the market transfers to gangs and cartels and the substance transfers to an unregulated free-for-all is what happens to consumers, what happens to people who are actually using the drugs. In a regulated market, they're treated as patients. In a prohibitive market, a criminalized market like we have today, they're treated as criminals. What that does is dramatically increases almost every harm related to people who are using drugs. And when that happens, those harms also flow out to their families and communities. Stigma immediately becomes part of uh, drug use and addiction because we've now termed people as criminals who are struggling with this. Incarceration goes through the roof because now, instead of patients, we're arresting people and putting them in jail for uh, what we believe is a very complex uh, health issue. It is not a criminal issue. Family disconnection begins to happen as families are torn apart through incarceration, through the harms of addiction, that uh, our experience of addiction, which is largely driven by a prohibitive market where people are not really allowed to be treated by doctors in the way that they uh, feel is best for them. A criminal record happens when you incarcerate people and give them a criminal approach to what should be considered to be a health problem. When they come out with a criminal record, they have difficulty finding gainful employment. Now they have difficulty providing for their families, something that we want everybody to have the opportunity to do. And when you incarcerate people, you increase their community disconnection. Now all the bonds that they've had in their community are fraying or broken when they come back out. 
A big part of that is that now all of this has increased the trauma to that person, what they've experienced in our prison system, which is violence, sexual assault, physical assault, extortion. Our prison systems are very, very harmful environments for the people who are exposed to them. I still think there is a place for prison. There are some people who uh, cannot be in the broader community and the broader community to be safe. Uh, But we ought to be very careful about who we expose to those kinds of environments. And we don't believe that people who use drugs should be in there at all unless they have harmed somebody or um, broken a law where there is a victim, either uh, burglary or um, something along those lines. So when you increase trauma, you increase addiction. Research has shown over and over and over again that addiction is driven by trauma. It can be driven by other things, too, but trauma is a huge driver of addiction. And our response to people who use drugs right now is to heap on more and more and more trauma. And then we expect them to be able to be better equipped to beat their addiction. We are creating more of the problem that will drive more of the problem. And all of that is going to increase the chances of overdose death because of what happens to the substance and to the users um, who are using it. So the consumer harms explode and immediately their thriving decreases. Again, our drug law should be focused on decreasing harm and increasing thriving. But what they do is in the market to the substance and to the consumer, they increase harm and decrease thriving. In Mississippi, which is where Mike and I are, um, I've been born and raised here, lived here my whole life. We have the third highest incarceration rate in the nation. The United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world. In Mississippi, about 40% of our incarcerated people are there on drug crimes. That's a huge percentage of our uh, prison population for crimes that Mike and I and thousands and thousands of other people around the world uh, are convinced are actually harming us to be putting people in prison for. So this is a huge problem here in our home state. Um, If you turned all of the states into little countries and you put us uh, with the other countries of the world, that would make Mississippi the third highest incarcerator of people um, in the world. Now, Mississippi is realizing this. There was just a big criminal justice reform summit here a few days ago where our governor spoke about Mississippi's efforts to decrease our prison population. There are great things happening here in Mississippi, and we need to continue on this track because as we incarcerate people, we are harming their families and communities. And we ought to only be doing that when it is absolutely necessary and really helps us. And we're convinced now that a lot of the people we're incarcerating is actually increasing the harm not just to them and their families, but to the broader community as well. There are 202 people a day who are dying of overdoses in the United States. This is a huge problem. We are losing Americans. We're losing fathers and mothers and children, brothers and sisters. And the things that we can do to decrease that number ought to be things we are very seriously considering, even if they're things we've never considered before. So there are two kinds of harm related to drugs. One is from the drugs themselves, and one is from criminalizing drugs. Most of us who are alive today have never lived in a world where America did not approach drug use as a criminal issue. Although we did 100 years ago, this is how we handled drug use and drugs 100 years ago. They were not prohibited. They were legally regulated. People who struggled with addiction were treated by doctors as doctors saw fit. So I want to give you an example of two lives and the difference in how 
how we approach drug use affects real people and real families. Joanne is a mother. Um, She had a child three years ago and during her pregnancy was using drugs. That was not a healthy thing. She was not happy or proud of her um, use of drugs, but she could not beat her addiction while she was pregnant. I met Joanne because her son, when he was born, was placed in our home. We were a foster family uh, at that time, and we um, received her son and got to know her. Um, And what I learned was that everything that I thought about people who use drugs was wrong. She loves her son, and she loves her son just as much as I love my three sons. And I didn't want to believe that in the beginning. I wanted to believe that our criminalization of what she is doing was the right thing to do. But as I got to know her, I realized she's a mother like me. She loves her son like me. Her addiction is not related to uh, a lack of love for her child or a lack of desire to be free from it. This is being driven by other forces And I have been wrong about this. And that created a real problem of conscience for me uh, about what would have happened if Joanne had been caught by the criminal justice system for what she had been doing while she was pregnant. And the thought that she would be disappeared from her son's life, incarcerated for years, began to make me so uncomfortable that I began to really put some time into learning about this. Before that, I've always supported a criminal approach to drugs. I thought this was helping people. But I could see when I looked at Joanne's life that that wouldn't have helped her. But what did help her was being able to go to treatment. Now, not everyone is able to get sober just by going to treatment. Um, Sometimes it can be a very long road. But if Joanne had been in prison, we would have lost the opportunity altogether. But instead, she was able to go to a wonderful treatment program here. It's part of our state treatment system. It was not a private program. treatment facility. And she was able to get sober, to deal with the drivers of her addiction, and to parent. She has been sober for three years now since her son's birth. She works full-time with troubled youth who are dealing with some of the same issues that she was dealing with. And her life has taken a huge turn of redemption and hope. And she is a wonderful mother to her son. That's not always possible, but it's definitely not possible if we had just put her in jail and her son had been in foster care or otherwise separated from her for years or forever of his life. Nikki is another mother, um, also from here, uh, right close to where I live in Mississippi. Nikki was also using drugs while she was pregnant. Uh, Not street drugs, but drugs that she got uh, from a doctor, but um, through uh, non-approved methods. Um, So she was doctor shopping. The difference between Nikki and Joanne is that Nikki was caught for her drug use and was prosecuted for it by the criminal justice system. Nikki received a 15-year prison sentence, and she is in prison today um, here in Mississippi, separated from her children. Uh, Her family is raising her children and trying to support Nikki um, during these years while she is in prison. Nikki is missing her children's childhood. They are missing their mother. Nikki was in recovery for eight years prior to relapsing while she was pregnant. This is not helping her. This is not helping her children. This is not helping her family. And when we drop this kind of bomb on the life of a family, our whole community is suffering under the weight of that. So these are two women who were doing very similar things while they were pregnant. 
Is it good or healthy to use drugs while you're pregnant? Absolutely not. But how we respond to that should increase those families and those children's ability to thrive. We did that for Joanne. We met her with a health response, and she was able to go to treatment and be sober and be there for her children. We met Nikki with a criminal justice response, and it has been an explosion of harm for her and her children and her entire family, and that explodes the harm out into the community. So what do we gain from this? We should be gaining a lot in order to support a criminal approach to drugs. What's on the table is a possible small decrease in use. And I say a possible small decrease in use because if you look even at states that have legalized marijuana, fully legalized it, it's recreational. Anybody who's over the age of 21 can go and purchase it. They have not seen a big increase in use. Most of the people who have been wanting to smoke it have already been smoking it or vaping it or whatever people do. I have never used an illegal drug. I don't know how people use them. Um, But that's what's on the table, a possible small decrease in use. But what we're losing in order to possibly gain that small decrease in use is all of this explosion of harms that's coming to the market, to the substance, and to people who are using drugs. And we think now that one of the best things that we can do is to stop criminalizing drugs. And that's how we actually gain a far greater amount of thriving for people. Um, so if you, if we were to graph out the kinds of harms we think are coming from the drugs themselves and the kinds of harms that are actually coming from a criminal approach to drugs that research says is what's happening, is that a very small portion of the harm is actually coming from the drugs. There is very real harm that can come from drugs. I'm not diminishing that. But a lot of our experience of what we think is drug-related harm today is actually our criminal approach to drugs. So when you see people who are using drugs who are um, robbing people, uh, burglary, robbing, stealing from their families, which um, many families have experienced, that's coming because they can't get that supply of drug without uh, a fair amount of money to buy it on the street. What could happen is that we could allow people to be on programs where they're able to be treated by a doctor for their addiction, even if they're not ready to stop. And that allows us to meet people where they are instead of saying, you have to do X, otherwise we're not willing to help you. We could take people and we could say, where are you right now? How can we help you make one positive step and then the next positive step and then the next positive step? Instead of saying, you either meet us here, total sobriety, total abstinence from use, how could we say, how can we help you? We, that's where we want you, but how can we help you move in that direction? How can we help you be healthier? How can we help your family experience less harm? This is, again, how we handled drugs 100 years ago, and we need to do this again. The way that we're able to do this is to legalize and regulate all drugs and to treat drug use as a health issue. Now, that word legalize, I realize, is a very radioactive word. And part of the problem is that it comes with a connotation for a lot of us, uh, me being politically conservative, this is how I feel, um, of that we are condoning drug use. That's not true at all. Um, legalized alcohol use doesn't mean that we want people to go out there and drink alcohol. We're just saying that it needs to be legal because it's the best way to handle alcohol, which is also a drug which is also potentially hazardous. Uh, It creates lots of misery for lots of people. But for the vast majority of people who use it, they don't have a problem with it. 
So we want people to consider that even though we may have an initial emotional reaction to the idea of legalizing and regulating drugs, we hope that you are able to push past that and to journey with us into seeing that that's actually the best way to handle drugs, where we can decrease their harm to people and promote um, healing and thriving to people. So I'm not interested in drug use. I've never used an illegal drug. I have no interest in drug use. I don't even drink alcohol. Um, I'm politically conservative. I'm a Christian. I'm coming at this um, not because I want people using drugs, but because I am very interested in how can we treat people well? How can we treat people in ways that help them um, to thrive, to be able to use uh, all the gifts and abilities that they have for good things, to be providing for their families, to be contributing to their communities. So you don't need, you don't have to want to use drugs to be interested in their legalization. The legalization of drugs is a public health issue. It is, I think, an issue of moral weight, um, even for us who might have an initial thought that the moral weight is only on the side of whether or not someone chooses to use drugs. There is also a moral weight to how we respond to someone's drug use, to how we choose to classify a substance. Because if what's happening is that many, many people are dying and their lives are being destroyed, I think we need to sit, be able to sit with the fact that there is a massive moral weight to that. If we are supporting policies that are destroying people's lives and causing death, uh, we need to really consider whether or not that's something that uh, the moral weight is not great enough that we're willing to consider another way. So what do we gain if we do this? If we were to legalize and regulate all drugs, which is what Mike and I and many, many, many other people uh, see as the best way out of this and all research we think supports this, what do we gain? We are able to treat drug users, people who use drugs, as patients again instead of criminals. They've done this in places like Portugal. We hope you'll join us further on in this uh, season as we will dive more into what Portugal has done and the kinds of thriving that they have seen as part of it. Portugal also had a massive heroin crisis when they began to rethink how they approached drugs. One in every 100 Portuguese citizens was addicted to heroin. Today in Portugal, they have rethought how they approach people who use drugs. Portugal's overdose death rate is six people out of every million people in their population. Today, the United States' drug overdose death rate is 220 people out of every million in our population. Um, they have been able to do this by changing the way they deal with people who use drugs, how they approach that. What do we gain on the substance side? We gain the ability to regulate these drugs again instead of forcing them into the black market where they're just contaminated and nobody knows what they're taking or how potent it is. Reform of substances does work in places like Switzerland that are trying a different approach to how they help people um, decrease the harms that are coming to them. And we'll delve into that more uh, in further episodes also. What would it look like to even um, allow people to access a medical-grade supply of heroin while you're helping them to rebuild a life outside of drug use? Does it work? It does, and we hope you'll join us as we delve into that. What do we gain in a market? We gain back regulated businesses owning the, um, the drug market instead of gangs and cartels. Are there still harms related to that? Sure, there's going to be harms related to that. Is it going to be less harmful than having gangs and cartels in charge of it and being funded by it? Absolutely. We also have a way of understanding this already. This is what we did with alcohol. We prohibited alcohol in 1920. 
in an effort to eradicate all of its harms. The problem was that it just escalated the harms. Alcohol is a potentially harmful substance. But what happens when you force it into the black market is that the harms explode. We did that for 13 years. It was an absolute disaster. Gangs and Al Capone and all of his cronies uh, made millions and millions and millions of dollars. There was so much crime, and we brought alcohol back into a regulated market again only 13 years later. We realized this is the wrong way to approach it. And we now have alcohol sold. You can go and buy it. Does it mean it's not harmful? No. Some people are very harmed. Their lives and families are destroyed by alcohol. But prohibiting it only increases those harms. Ending our criminal approach to drugs, we believe, is one of the biggest levers in the world that we have of a policy change that could reduce harm to the most people and give the most people a very different opportunity to thrive than they have right now. So we hope that you'll join us in considering this. It won't just be Mike and I. We have a list of uh, people we're interviewing, um, like Bruce Alexander, who did some fascinating experiments into the role of emotional trauma and disconnection in driving addiction. People like Liz Evans, who started um, a place in Canada where people who are struggling with drug use uh, for many, many years can find safe housing. Uh, and a loving environment uh, to uphold their value of life, even while they're struggling. People like Johan Hari, who wrote the book Chasing the Scream, which is where um, I really began to understand um, this issue. I felt all of these disconnections, and I read this book, and it helped me to really understand a new framework of how to think about this. Everything that I've read in the three years since I've read Chasing the Scream has convinced me that all of his research in it is the research that is in the world. And we want to bring that research to you that says this is the best way for us to move forward. We want to be invitational. We're not interested in uh, verbal grenades and confrontation. Uh, We want people to feel the weight of what we're doing in broken hearts and not bitter and angry hearts. Uh, We want you to travel with us. We're not looking to build an army of soldiers. We want to invite you on this journey to travel with us um, and to consider whether or not you want to change your mind, too, about the way that we approach drugs and to support the kind of world that we think this would allow us to have. This is the kind of world where drugs are legal and regulated again, where we don't criminalize them. This is the world I want my sons to grow up in. This is the kind of world that I want to live in. This is the way I want people to be treated. This is the kind of um, taking care of our neighbors that I think is uh, healthy for us. It is the right way to handle potentially harmful substances. And I think we gain a great deal, not just in helping people who are struggling with addiction, but in decreasing the harms of crime in our communities, in decreasing the prevalence of overdose, in decreasing the stigma for people who are having trouble accessing treatment because they don't want to admit that they have a problem. We think there's so much to be gained, and we hope that you'll join us as we take you on that journey. Our next episode will be addressing some of the most common objections to this approach. So if you've heard this and you think, I don't know, what about all of these other things? We want to address the seven most common objections that we have heard and um, why we think there are good reasons why those objections can be answered and um, that all the evidence that we've been able to find points to. If we want to reduce harm to people, this is what we do. 
We legalize and regulate all drugs. We end a criminal approach to drugs for good. Join us. So how do we end our criminal approach to drugs? By changing one mind at a time. Many people are only willing to have this conversation when they are invited to by someone they trust. That's you. Invite your friends, family, and people in your circle of influence to consider a better way. At End It For Good, our hope is that people who hear will become people who tell. Join the movement to end it for good.